So we will get back into our study of Ephesians, still in chapter number one. We were able uh, last time to uh, finish through verse number four. So we will pick up right there, just a quick recap of uh, what we've talked about in uh, there, verse number four. It says, we're according as he, being God, has chosen us in him, uh, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And we talked about how that God chose us and that choosing, uh, I think I used the example of uh, someone can be a hiring manager at a company and can offer me a job. They can choose me as the person uh, that they want to give the job to, but then I still have the ability, I have to accept that position or I can turn it down. And that's the way it is uh, with God. So who does God choose? He chose the whole world. That's who he has chosen. He uh, gave Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ died on the cross for the whole world. And we talked about how that uh, the word here chosen in verse number four and then leading into verse number five, uh, where the word predestinated is used, how that that has, uh, over the years, caused a lot of confusion uh, in the church and uh, some doctrinal issues uh, that hopefully we'll be able to uh, bring light to tonight. So in verse number five, he follows up with, after he said he's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, then he goes on to say, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, this passage here, verse 4 and 5, where it's, he, Paul speaks of the fact that we have been chosen before the foundation of the world, and that he predestinated us, that's where the uh, doctrine, what we call of predestination, comes into play. There are folks that believe that uh, God predestines certain people to, be to go to heaven and certain people to go to hell, and there's not a lot of choice in the matter. You're either chosen by God and predestined by God uh, to get to heaven, and if you're not, there's nothing you can do about it. However, we talked about that when we interpret scripture, uh, opinions, my opinion is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what I think it means and, and what I read into it. <clears throat> when we interpret scripture, we have to interpret scripture with scripture. We have to compare it to the rest of the Bible and say, okay, what supports what I think that means and what uh, <clears throat> goes against what I think it means? And so when we do that, we know that, uh, as we talked about last week, uh, Matthew chapter 10, Whosoever shall confess me before men, I'll confess before my Father. Whosoever believeth in me shall not perish. Uh, let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So there's all kinds of scriptures throughout the Bible that is obvious and plain that the choice is up to the human. It's up to the person uh, whether or not they go to heaven or they go to hell. God did not choose. So what did he predestinate? If he didn't, if Paul is not speaking 
that God chose certain people and he predestinated who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell, what is he talking about? And, and what does this word predestination mean? And, and why did Paul even bring this up and confuse everybody? Well, the word predestinated here in verse number five comes from a Greek word that means to predetermined to determine in advance. So that would support the doctrine of predestination. Well, he determined in advance. Well, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what is Paul telling us that God predetermined? Did he predetermine who's going to be saved? Or, and if that's not the case, what did he predetermine? What did he do before the foundation of the world? So we got to find out what God predestinated. So as we read uh, verse number 5, having predestinated us unto, so now he tells us what was predestinated, what God predestinated. He predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. So what did God predestinate? He predestinated the plan of salvation. That's what he predestinated. Before the foundation of the world was laid, he chose that uh, us in him, and he predestinated that man would fail and that Jesus Christ would be the sacrifice for sin and, would, and reconciliation and would reconcile us back to God through his son, Jesus Christ, that's what was predestinated. The adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. That was what was laid out before the foundation of the world. Now, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. What did he predestinate? He foreknew... And he predestinated. It goes on to say he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. So that's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about predestination. God predestinated that we would be uh, conformed to the image of his son. That was the predestination. So, um, when my wife and I decided to start a family, um, we did not, on the day that my son was born, we didn't wait until the doctor and the nurse handed the baby to us, and then we looked at each other and said, well, where are we going to put him when we get home? We didn't say... Maybe we should buy him some clothes or something. No, that was all predestinated. We, we, but, but when he came into this world, he already had a room, he had a bed, he had clothes, there was diapers. Everything was prepped and prepared and waiting for his arrival. That is what Paul was talking about here when he said God predestinated, God foreknew, because God is all-knowing and all-wise. He knew that he was uh, going to create humanity 
and that Adam and Eve ultimately would give in to temptation and would fail. But then he said, when that happens, here is the remedy for that situation. And he predestinated the whole thing. So he made preparation for when uh, humanity sinned. And then in verse number 30 of Romans chapter 8, he said, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and who he called, he justified, and who he justified, he glorified. That's what he predestinated. He predestinated that he would call on you and I and, and call us to salvation. And that when we accepted him, that we would be justified and we would be glorified. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, we all, all things are become new. And in all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, reconciled the world to himself. And then in verse number 20, he said, be ye reconciled unto God. So the, what God predestinated was, here's the plan. When man fails and man sins, here's the plan. I've already got it laid out. I've made preparations. Everything's prepared. This is what we have to understand. Nothing catches God by surprise. Things can catch you and I by surprise. I can come around a corner and there might be a bear outside my house or a, the neighbor's dog. Or I could be surprised and I could sometimes even be scared. Nothing surprises God. God understands everything that's going to happen. He's made preparations and he has everything prepared. So what he predestinated was the plan of salvation. First uh, Peter chapter 1, he says that we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and as gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without spot who was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So that's what was foreordained. The, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ was what was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So before God said, let there be light, he already planned Jesus going to the cross. Before he ever started, he said, I'm going to create something beautiful and man's going to mess it up, but I'm going to create them anyway. You see, we as humans can't understand that. It confuses us because we say, well, if God knew man was going to sin and he would have to sacrifice his son, why would he even create man? Why would he even do it? He did it because he loved us so much that he would rather have us created and failed than not created at all. So I've got, and I've used this example before. When my wife and I decided to have children, guess what? We knew our children weren't going to be perfect. We knew they were going to make mistakes. We knew that they were going to fall down and get hurt and have to go to the hospital. We knew that at some point they were going to suffer pain, that a little girl was going to break up with them and break their heart, and, and they would 
you know, maybe play sports and get injured or whatever. We knew all that was going to happen. But even though that we knew they were going to have to suffer pain and anguish at times, we also knew that there would be times of joy and happiness. And we said, we're going to go ahead and bring them into this world anyway. We're going to go ahead and have children anyway, even though we know they're not going to be perfect. Even though they, we know that sometimes they're going to break our hearts and sometimes they're going to say things that, that cut us all the way to the bone, we're going to have them anyway. If we uh, said, well, we only want to have children if they're going to be perfect and if they're never going to suffer and nothing bad's ever going to happen, this would be the last generation on the planet. <laughs> Because this is not a perfect world. We are not perfect people. And it's never going to be perfect. So that's the way God viewed it. God would rather have us than not have us. That's why he created us anyway. Revelation chapter 13, he says that the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. So Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that was predestinated. He was, he was uh, going to the cross before God laid the foundations of the world. That was already set out. So why did God predestinate and decide before that we would be adopted children through Jesus Christ? So why did he do that? Well, when we go on in verse number 5, he says that he predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So what does Paul mean by that? The, according to the good pleasure of his own will. Simply put, in plain English... Because he wanted to. <laughs> That's what he wanted to do. So why did I bring two, my wife and I, why did we bring two children into the world knowing that they were going to suffer pain and anguish at times? Because we wanted children. Because we wanted to. That's what we wanted. So that's why God did it. God said, I love what I'm going to create I love it so much, I'm going to create it. And I love it so much knowing that it's going to fail, that I'm going to give my part of myself to redeem it back to me. Now, that's love. You see, a lot of times people preach and teach a doctrine, a gospel of an angry God, a mean God, a God that wants to send people to hell. And if you don't live right, God's going to get you. And God's always looking for us. And he's always got the, the, the staff of correction. Now, does God correct his children? Absolutely. But we have to understand that God does not correct out of anger and hate. He corrects out of love. He loves you and I. And the thing that breaks God's heart the most, I'm convinced of this, the thing that causes him the most grief and the most agony is when a man or a woman reject the shed blood of Jesus Christ and they go to hell. That grieves God's heart because it is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
which goes against the doctrine of predestination because what does the Bible say is God's will? That not a single person go to hell. So if somebody goes to hell, if somebody dies unsaved, lost, and they go to hell, that was against the will of God. It's God's will. So who would, if God predestinated who was going to heaven and who was going to hell, who would he have chosen to send to hell? Nobody. Because the Bible tells us it is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. However, he gave us a free will. He gave us our own mind that we can make up and we can choose to accept his forgiveness or we can choose to reject it. Now, let's get into verse number 6, which uh, there's... In verse number 6, there's a lot here that reinforces what we just talked about in verse number 5. So remember, we just talked about that he has predestinated us unto adoption. He predestinated the plan of salvation because he wanted to. And then in verse 6, he says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. So, because he has provided for our salvation, we can praise the glory of his grace. Now, we praise God for a lot of things, don't we? We praise God for answered prayer, like Brother Aaron gave us a praise report, and we praise God for that. But did you know if God never answered a prayer, we still have an obligation to praise God? What do we praise God for? If everything in our life is going wrong, what do we praise God for? For His grace. Because we have salvation, and that can't be taken away. That can't be done away with. So if everything in our life is wrong, we still can praise God. That's what He said. He's done it to the praise of the glory of His grace. So we praise God for His grace. Do we praise God for answered prayer? Yes. Do we praise God for a healthy born child? Yes. Do we praise God for the, the, the answered prayer of a new job or whatever it is? Absolutely. But the thing that we give him ultimate praise for above everything else is for his grace. Because he saw fit to save you and I that wasn't worth saving. And he gave his son a ransom for us when we were yet unlovable. So why? Why did he do that? He did it because his grace that has made us accepted in the beloved. That's, that's why we praise him. We praise him because his grace has made us accepted. Now, a lot of times we read scripture and we read it really quickly and sometimes we just need to slow down and we need to look at what it actually is telling us. Now what this verse is telling us right here is huge. He says that he's done it because of the good pleasure of his will, that we can praise the glory of his grace wherein, in what? In his grace hath, or wherein he hath 
made us accepted in the beloved. Now, what we have to understand that this word hath is what we would say if we were speaking in our language today, we would say has. So this word hath is the same as has. And hath is past tense, not future tense. So let's read that again. Wherein he hath or has made us accepted in the beloved. Did you know if you're a Christian today, if you've been uh, saved and born again and you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are accepted. Not going to be accepted. It says that you have been made accepted in the beloved. So why are we accepted? Because we're good people? Because we're at church on Wednesday night? Because we do good? Because we sing in the choir or because we pay our tithes. No, that's not why we're accepted in God's eyes. We're accepted in God's eyes through the beloved. Who's the beloved? The Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not going to be accepted. We're not going to be. There's a lot of folks that think, well, when we get to the end of our life, if we've, if we've done more good things than we've done bad things, then God will weigh it out. And man, it, it, as long as we did one more good thing than we did bad things, God will accept us. No, sir, no, ma'am. We're already accepted in the eyes of God, not because of us, not because of anything we can do or will do. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, how in the world sometimes... How do we get so uh, off track and uh, we make this thing about us rather than about the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, does God want us to do right? Yes. Does God want us to sin? No. But you see, when we make it about the sin and we make it about the good deed, we lose track of what it's really about, and it's about the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reason why that so many Christians who are doing the right thing today are miserable. They're, they have no joy. They're not happy. And if you're that way, you can have joy. You can have happiness. Make, make your daily life about the Lord Jesus Christ and less about yourself, and things will start looking up. Things will turn around. You see... We can go all day long, and every one of us have done this. We can go all day long and do the right thing all day, and we can make one mistake, and what does the devil do? Destroys our entire day over the one. We did 20 good things today. We helped people. We, 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 we blessed people. We, we did 20 things positive, 20 things for the cause of Christ. We make one mistake, we slip up one time, and it destroys our confidence, it destroys our joy, it takes away everything, and now we fall into uh, 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 misery and depression because we messed up. That's because we're making it about ourselves. What we have to do when we mess up is we make it about Jesus Christ. We fall on our face and we say, God, I don't deserve what you've done for me and I deserve it even less now, but please forgive me for this. And we just have to go on with life. That's, that's what God wants. He wants us to make it about him and not about us. He said that 
any man in Christ, he is a new creature, not will be. See, even that is past tense. The day I got saved, I became a new creature. And if you're not saved today, you can become a new creature. Now, does that mean a saved person, once they accept the Lord Jesus Christ and get forgiveness of their sin and they look in the mirror, does their gray hair go away? No. Do they look different? Do you know, do you do you magically lose weight? What what happens? Well, what happens is now forgiveness has come in. Grace and mercy have come in. There's no more penalty for sin. That's what's new. God has created us and and when we get saved, we become a new creature. Now, one day the Bible tells us that at when the last trump shall sound, that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we, which are alive, we shall be changed. He said this mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible must put on incorruption. So right now, a saved person, you and I, we are changed. We're a new creature, but that new creature is still veiled in this corrupt flesh. One day, we'll shed this corrupt flesh, either through death or through... The, re the, uh, uh, the resurrection uh, or through the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that point, we will no longer be corruptible. So this mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible must put on incorruption. But that doesn't change the fact that we're saved and that we're a child of God. And the inside is what he changed. Now, what religion tells us, religion tells us, that we must live a certain way and do certain things to be accepted by God. That's what religion teaches. Which religion? Every single one of them. The false religions, the good religions, even uh, Christianity, we teach that to be accepted of God, you have to live a certain way and do certain things. But what Paul tells us here is that we've already been made accepted. Now, you say, but Terry, if we've already been made accepted and we don't have to live a certain way, people would just go out and live any way they want. No, 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 you're missing the point. I don't live for God and do right to try to please God or to try to keep God from chastising me. That's the wrong viewpoint. We live for God because of his mercy and grace, because he forgave us. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, I was playing church league softball a few years back, and I slid into second base, and I dislocated my ankle. I was out of work for four months. Well, this was in the middle of the summer because that's when church league softball is. So how am I going to mow my yard? I can't get off the couch. I have to sit on the couch with my leg propped up on a pillow. I can't even walk. Uh, I can't move. So how am I going to mow my yard? Well, you want to know what happened? There was two men from the church that were on the softball team. They came every week. I didn't ask them. I tried to pay them. They wouldn't accept. They came and mowed my yard every week for the, for the rest of the summer. Now, if even to this day, if either one of those men needed something, I would go out of my way to help them. 
Why? Because I owe them? No. Because they went out of their way to help me. I appreciate it. And I would do the same for them. I would do even more for them. Because they did it without being asked. They did it without being told. They did it for no money. They, they would not even use my lawnmower and my gas. I try. I'm like, no, use my mower. You don't have to bring yours. Here, use my gas. Nope. They wouldn't do it. So I would do anything for those men. Because they, you see, that's how our relationship should be with God. I don't live for God because I'm afraid he's going to get me. I live for God because he has saved me and he has forgiven me. And he has given me the greatest gift that anybody could ever give. And I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But he gave it to me anyway. And that's why we serve God. Not because religion says we have to. We're already accepted in his eyes. We live for him because of what he did for us. Not so that he will do something for us in the future. It's not through our good works. It's not through our good deeds. But it's in verse number 6. He tells us in the beloved. That's why we're accepted. We're accepted because in the beloved. And in verse number 5. By Jesus Christ himself. So that's why we are accepted in God's eyes. You see, when you look at me, you see a man with faults and failures. You see a person that makes mistakes. And you see a person that doesn't deserve the love of God. When God looks at me, he sees the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I am accepted in his eyes, even though we are robed in mortal flesh, even though we're robed in corruptible flesh. When God looks at us, he sees a precious thing. He sees the precious blood of Jesus Christ when he looks at us. So I've got a, um, I've got a little birdhouse. I started to bring it tonight. I've got a little birdhouse that if I brought it in here and we put that up for auction... None of you here would even give a nickel for it. I would have to pay you probably $20 just to take it home. You would look at that and you would say, well, that's the silliest looking thing. Who, who built that? It, it, it's got bad colors. It's, it's writing on it. it. It says birds, but it looks like bins because uh, the R looks like an N and it's got magic marker and, and the the person that built it made a mistake and marked it out with the magic marker. It's colored with magic marker, and it, the, the glue is sticking out, and it's a little lopsided and crooked. But you know something? To me, that is the most precious thing that I have at my home. It's more precious than my house. It's more precious than my car. It's more precious than anything else that I own. That, that little ugly birdhouse that's not even put together properly that you would say you need to throw that thing in the trash so why is that thing that's so corrupted why is that thing that's so imperfect with all its blemishes and everything that's wrong with it why is it so precious to me it is precious to me because when my son was four years old he made that or I guess he was probably six he made that at a vacation bible school and he brought it home, and it was a gift to his father from my son. And the reason I love it is because it's imperfect. 
The reason I love it is because he created it and he made it and it's not perfect and you wouldn't want it and I couldn't sell it in a store. And the other thing about it, it's unique. There's not another one on the planet like it. It is uniquely imperfect and you couldn't create another one if you tried and if you did it wouldn't be special to me because this one was given to a father out of love by his son and it is precious to me and if you try to take it I'll fight you and you can somebody can break into my house they can steal other things it would not be as devastating to me as if they destroyed or stole that. And we have to understand that when God sees me and you, he sees the perfection and he loves the perfection. He sees that you, in, to me, that little birdhouse is perfect just the way it is and I would not change it. Why? Because that's what my son presented to me as a gift. Jesus Christ is presenting you and I as a gift to his father. We're the bride of Christ. We are not perfect. We are, the, the glue sticks out and the, the, the writing is wrong and we're a little crooked and a little lopsided. And God looks at us and says, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You look at me and you say, why, well, he's lopsided and he's crazy and there's things wrong with him. And God says, I love him exactly the way he is and I wouldn't change a thing because he's already saved me. That is precious. We have to understand that that's how God sees us. Now, all that doesn't mean that we have no obligation to live by religious principles, not at all. It doesn't mean that we don't have to do good things. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is that our acceptance by God is only dependent in Jesus Christ and it's not dependent on us living a certain way or living by the law or living by a certain code of ethics. Should we try to live right? Absolutely. Should we do the best we can? Absolutely. But God loves us because of our imperfections. Because we were the gift from the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he looks at you and me and he says, see, I get that thing out sometimes and I bring it in, I bring it in the living room and I show it to Angie. And we laugh and we go, look right here. Look, look how the thing doesn't match and, and, and how the, 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 he, he misspelled the word and all that kind of stuff. And, and we just giggle and we laugh about it. And then I take that precious thing back into my office and I set it back on my shelf. It is the most precious thing in my office. And it's the most imperfect thing in my office. But it's the most precious to me. That's how God sees us. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us here in Ephesians. All right, so we will stop there and pick up in verse number 7 next time.